This is Books of Titans, the podcast dedicated to the influences of influencers. The books that have helped shape prominent inventors, business leaders, athletes, intellectuals, scientists, and others. We'll talk about what makes these books such classics and at least attempt to have an intelligent discussion about what makes them so important and influential. Hello, this is Eric Rostad coming to you right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Today, I'm going to cover Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. This is book 10 of 52 from my 2020 reading list. I'm going to switch things up a little bit in this episode. The version of the book that I read had two different parts. The first was Brave New World, the novel. And then the second part was Huxley's revisiting of the book 27 years later to see how the ideas in the book fared, uh, to see what he called his prophecies, if they were coming true sooner than he thought they would. So he wrote the original novel in 1931. It came out in 1932. And then in 1958, he wrote this revisited, Brave New World Revisited. So I read both. I read Brave New World and then Brave New World Revisited. And so in this episode, I'm going to break it up into four different segments. The first segment will will cover his novel, Brave New World, and three different ideas from that novel. In the second segment, I'm then going to to discuss Revisited, uh, Brave New World Revisited, in those same three ideas as Huxley talks about them 27 years after writing his original book. In the third segment, I'm then going to take those same three ideas and talk about them now in 2020 to see how those ideas ideas have fared 89 years after writing his original novel. Uh, the fourth segment, I will then talk about the book, uh, the author, details about how long it took me to read, uh, stuff like that. And then I'll also share my one key takeaway from Brave New World. So on to segment one. Let me just set up Brave New World quickly, and then I'll get into more details about it uh, later on in segment four. So Brave New World is a work of dystopian fiction. Dystopia came about uh, because there were, there were other books coming out that were uh, utopian. And so there was this idea of, of how great things could be if we, if we just did this and that. And so Brave New World was written uh, on the opposite side of the spectrum of that uh, as dystopia. So what would happen if if everything went wrong. Uh, that's kind of one way to look at it, or, or just things are, things are really bad in dystopia. They're not, they're not going towards the good, they're going towards the bad. And so just a quick kind of two-minute overview, overview of the book. We start out in a world where Ford is God. So all the famous sayings of, of cleanliness is next to godliness, well, in, in Brave New World, it's cleanliness is next to Fordliness. And so Henry Ford, the... The idea there is that he he's kind of the founder of of uh, the of this of this land, and and his ideas are are the 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 big ones. Uh, in in Brave New World, the soul is gone. There there is no soul. There are no mothers and fathers. Everyone is created in a hatchery and then conditioned into the type of person that they will become. Everyone's happy. Uh, happiness is one of the key societal societal functions. And to make that a reality, the leadership provides Soma, which is this drug. It's a near-perfect drug that creates pleasant euphoria without any negative side effects. And and then makes uh, this government also makes certain that all war, disease, uh, plagues, uh, struggle is gone. But this happiness comes at a cost, and it's used as a measure of control. So these happy, drug-laden people will not rebel or question authority or rock the boat in any way. So 
while the people seem happy, they are soulless and uh, they just go about and do what they're expected to do and what they've been conditioned to do without any freedom to think or do otherwise. The, the freedom that they have is to indulge their desires immediately. It's all about immediate gratification. So in this novel, few people begin, a few people do begin to rebel against these ideas, and, and we as the readers get to see what happens to those who, who begin to question this, uh, this idea of, of all the time being happy and, and that sort of thing. So it's very different than a lot of other dystopian novels. I've not read a whole ton of uh, other dystopian novels, but I have read some of the the more famous ones, and and so you just think of of those, and um, it it's it's more about the control being by the the strong arm of the law, and so these these other dystopian novels are are about intimidation, and the leaders are in power due to might. Torture, murder, fear, you name it, uh, terror. Uh, just think of Nazi Germany, Soviet Russia, Maoist China, or Saddam's Iraq. But Brave New World is different in that it's not based on those things. It's not based on the fear, despair, and death, but rather on how good things can be and how happy one can be. It's, it's, it's almost like this uh, pr- prison of pleasure. And so Huxley addresses a number of different ideas in this book. They deal with things like desire, individuality, happiness, purpose, love, art, and courage. I want to highlight three specific ideas that stuck out to me and discuss them first here in segment one as they came about in Brave New World. So the first of these is happiness and this idea of immediate gratification. And in Brave New World, this most often takes the form of sexual indulgence and then just being happy by taking this drug that's called Soma. So uh, in, in Brave New World, you'll, you'll go to work during the day and then, and then you've been conditioned to do that work. So it's, it's kind of part of your makeup, like you, you're, you're best suited for this particular type of work. And then at the end of the day, uh, so that you don't have to think or, or experiencing any, any, uh, any negative thoughts, you take this drug called Soma and it just puts you in this euphoric state. And so everybody's hooked on this and they, they take it all the time and the government just dishes it out for, for free. And, and so you just kind of can take this drug at, at any time you want. The uh, happiness is based on this conditioning though. And so you, from youth, the, the kids actually from like age five on are, are taught to uh, indulge any desire that they have immediately. And so what what we see in the novel is when when these people do begin to question that idea, um, you have these contrasts come up. So one of the characters, Bernard Marx, he 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 says things like, "I want to try the the effect of arresting my impulses." So basically, I, I don't want to just immediately gratify my desires. I want to I want to take a step back and 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 see what delayed gratification looks like to see if that actually enhances the happiness or in, enhances the gratification. He also says, I want to know what passion is. I want to feel something strongly. And so the idea here with happiness is the, the, the difference between what we might think of, of the happiness of a child versus the happiness of an adult. So an infant 
is is oftentimes going to seek happiness through immediate gratification. If they don't get what they want, they're just going to start screaming and hollering. But the idea or or ideal perhaps is that adults don't do that. Uh, they may wait more for gratification. They may save up money and then buy the thing instead of just buy it and then and then uh, pay a debt on it. Um, so happiness is really put the the idea is put forward in those kind of terms in Brave New World. Uh, happiness is a result of immediate gratification, but is that what happiness is all about? That's kind of the question Huxley, Huxley poses is delayed or immediate gratification, the way to go towards happiness. A second big idea that comes up is propaganda. Uh, propaganda is, is throughout the book. Uh, it takes the form of conditioning when the youth are, are young again, they're hatched, so there's no mother and father creating a child. Uh, the the sperm and the egg are hatched in a, in a lab, and then the the children are created from that, and they're hatched and then conditioned. And part of the conditioning is uh, repetition of sayings, and so there's these these mantras that are are repeated over loudspeakers and and through subtle subtle ways uh, to where by the time. The, the kids are a certain age, they've heard these specific phrases their entire lives. And then when people get together, it's, they just kind of repeat these phrases because everyone knows them. So, oh, how do we become happy? Well, happiness is a result of this. Or uh, just all these varieties in different circumstances of, of these phrases. And so that, that's one of the main forms that the, the propaganda takes in this book. But it has a lot to do with this idea of re- repetition. Um, constantly hearing these things over and over. The third thing I want to highlight from Brave New World is the idea of control. And in this book, the government has near-perfect control through hatching these children, hatching standardized human babies, uh, conditioning them, and then providing escapes through drugs and sex and removing all potential danger for the people who live in, in this Brave New World. So immediate gratification kind of blinds the masses to their deeper questions of life and keeps them not rocking the boat in any way at all. And it really ties together with the first two things of happiness and propaganda. Uh, control is, is propagated through propaganda, but through happiness. So everybody thinks, well, hey, this is good. I mean, I'm happy. I'm, I'm, I'm having fun. I'm, I'm gratifying my immediate desires. Uh, but they've also been programmed their whole life to think that that is the right way to go. So those are three ideas, uh, happiness, propaganda, and control. And now I want to highlight those in segment two, where Huxley talks about them in Brave New World Revisited, and then in segment three in Our Modern Times, what do those three ideas, three things look like, happiness, propaganda, and control. In 1958, Huxley wrote Brave New World Revisited, where he took a look at his ideas and prophecies from Brave New World and sought to, to understand if they came true or if they were coming true faster than he thought they would. So that was the purpose of, of writing uh, the Revisited book. So I want to talk about these ideas, happiness, propaganda, and control, and see what Huxley said about them 27 years after writing Brave New World. So let's start with happiness in, uh, in Brave New World Revisited in the chapter called Chemical per- Persuasion. He wrote this, 
In the Brave New World, the Soma habit, and uh, taking myself out of the quote for a second, remember Soma is that that near-perfect drug that that just puts people into a euphoric state, and it's something that's provided by the government it, uh, itself to, to the people. Uh, in the Brave New World, the Soma habit was not a private vice. It was a political institution. It was the very essence of the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness guaranteed by the Bill of Rights. But this most previous of the subject's inalienable privileges was at the same time one of the most powerful instruments of rule in the dictator's armory. The systematic drugging of individuals for the benefit of the, of the state, and incidentally, of course, for their own delight, was a main plank in the policy of the world controllers. The daily Soma ration was an insurance against personal maladjustment, social unrest, and the spread of subversive ideas. Religion, Karl Marx declared, is the opium of the people. In the brave new world, this situation was reversed. Opium, or rather Soma, was the people's religion. Like religion, the drug had power to console and compensate. It, It called up visions of another, better world. It offered hope, strengthened faith, and promoted charity. End quote. So that's what he had to say about uh, about happiness in Brave New World Revisited. The next idea was that of propaganda, and Huxley dedicates almost the entire revisited book to propaganda. Uh, these are just some of the chapters of Revisited. Propaganda in a democratic society, propaganda under a dictatorship, brainwashing, chemical persuasion, subconscious persuasion, and hypnopedia, which is teaching during sleep. So there's the idea that um, when someone's completely asleep, uh, nothing, uh, words will not get through. But there's the state of where you're kind of still conscious and you're falling asleep. And some studies show that that uh, ideas can can get through at that point. So if, if, if in Brave New World, uh, they repeat peep messages while the children are sleeping so that they get into the subconscious. And, uh, but with this teaching during sleep, there's that, that one point where ideas can even get further embedded into, into the person's psyche or, or, or their mind and then follow them the rest of their life. So, so here are uh, a few paragraphs on, um, on propaganda that show up in Revisited. Mass communication, in a word, is neither good nor bad. It is simply a force, and like any other force, it can be used either well or ill. Used in one way, the press, the radio, and the cinema are indispensable to the survival of democracy. Used in another way, they are among the most powerful weapons in the dictator's armory. In regard to propaganda, the early advocates of universal literacy and free press envisioned two possibilities. The propaganda might be true, or it might be false. They did not foresee what in fact has happened, above all in our Western capitalist democracies. The development of a mass, of a vast mass communications industry concerned in the main, neither with the true nor the false, but with the unreal, the more or less totally irrelevant. In a world, they failed to take into account man's almost infinite appetite for distractions. End quote. So this comes in a part where uh, he starts talking about... um, uh, something that Thomas Jefferson said, and Jefferson said, if a nation expects to be ignorant and free, it expects what never was and never will be. The people cannot be safe without information, where the press is free and every man able to read and all is safe. Uh, 
I, I put a comment next to that. I just kind of put like a ha. The people cannot be safe without information. Where the press is free and every man is able to read and, and, and all is safe. And um, he goes into that. And it, later on, he says, nothing can, can now be believed, which is seen in the newspaper. Uh, he, he's quoting someone there. And so he starts off with this kind of high ideal of uh, where the press is free, every man able to read and is safe. And the reason I put that ha next to that is is that is just so far from from what we see in in the press today and uh so that next part of mass communication can be used either for good or for bad uh and then that final part of the development of the mass communications in communications industry concerned in the main neither with the true nor the false uh but but for distraction and that's kind of where we where He's writing in 1958. That's where he's he's seeing things with mass communication. It's it's not concerned with with the true or the false. It's concerned with entertainment. It's concerned with distracting people, and so that's where we see propaganda in in 1958, uh, according to Huxley in in Revisited. The final item is that of control, and so here is uh, something that Huxley says about control in Brave New World Revisited. That a dictator could, if he so desired, make use of these drugs for political purposes is obvious. He can ensure himself against political unrest by changing the chemistry of his subjects' brains and so making them content with their servile condition. He could use tranquilizers to calm the excited, stimulants to arouse enthusiasm in the indifferent, hallucinants to distract the attention of the wretched from their miseries. But how, it may be asked, will the dictator get his subjects to take the pills that will make them think, feel, and behave in the ways he finds desirable? In all probability, it will be merely enough to make the pills available. Today, alcohol and tobacco are available, and people spend considerably more on these very unsatisfactory euphorics and sedatives than they are ready to spend on the education of their children. Or consider the tranquilizers. In the United States, these drugs can be obtained only on a doctor's prescription, but the demand of the American public for something that will make life in an urban industrial environment a little more tolerable is so great that doctors are now writing prescriptions for the various tranquilizers at the rate of 48 millions a year. Moreover, a majority of these prescriptions are refilled. A hundred doses of happiness are not enough. Send to the drugstore for another bottle, and when it is finished, for another. There can be no doubt that if tranquilizers could be bought as easily and cheaply as aspirin, they would be consumed, not by the billions as they are at present, but by the scores and hundreds of billions, and a good, cheap stimulant would be almost as popular. End quote. So again, the idea of control being available, made available by the, by the government uh, is not perhaps not that far-fetched of an idea, and that's what he gets into there with that with that quote. So again, in Brave New World Revisited, he revisits ideas such as happiness, propaganda, and control. In the next segment, we will we'll look at these ideas from now, from the year 2020. So how do Huxley's ideas fare 89 years after he wrote about them in Brave New World? Let's, uh, let's go through them. Happiness, propaganda, and control. Let's start with happiness. This is an idea that comes up a lot in the books that I've read for this project. I've read 160 plus books now for, for this Books of Titans project, and happiness comes up a lot. And just if you just get on Amazon and look at, at some of the new books that are coming out, so many of them deal with happiness, this, the pursuit of happiness. 
It, but just think about it. I mean, what when you hear parents talking about their children, what what do they want for their kids? When they when they're talking about what where they're looking to go to school or the activities they're involved in, you over and over you hear, I just want my kid to be happy. I just want them to be happy. And then but look at what happiness what happiness is in 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 the sense of what do people seek to give them happiness? Or what if we look at at the movie stars and the rock stars, the the people that are held up on a pedestal as as uh, in the cultural realm? What what do th- what do their lives look like? What are they seeking? And uh, a broad general generalization here, but it's it's that immediate gratification. Uh, many movie stars and rock stars have been in multiple marriages. Uh, they have expensive drug habits, and this is, you know, they. They have them all the money to do whatever they want, and, and, and a lot of them are going towards this. And this kind of becomes this ideal. And it may not be your ideal, ideal, but if you're thinking about movie stars and rock stars, you, you kind of have that expectation that that's the way that they're behaving uh, with expensive drug, ha- drug habits and sexual promiscuity and, and multiple partners. Basically, everything that happens in Brave New World. Like that—that's what the movie stars and rock stars are doing. That's what—that's what the ideal is. And and that struck me while reading this book that you know, 89 years later, and yeah, that—that's been throughout human history. Uh, immediate gratification, seeking happiness, seeking pleasure. Uh, That—that's not somehow new right now. But I—I I just find it interesting that the the ideal is the pursuit of those things. Uh, for those who are at the top of the cultural pyramid in, in our society. But when we take a step back, and, and, and again, this idea has come up a lot in different books for the Books of Titans Project, is that you can't pursue happiness. It's, it's a byproduct of something else. And, and, and oftentimes, it's a byproduct of suffering. It's, it's something that you've suffered or sacrificed for. And, and once you finally receive it, if you receive it at all, there's some tinge of happiness in in that, but it came through a lot of pain and suffering and work and struggle, or it comes through the best things in life are are free. The best the the best thing the things that lead to happiness are not necessarily the things that that we're told are going to lead to happiness. So, interesting idea of of happiness and especially how it's presented in Brave New World of what creates happiness what people are conditioned to seek after for their happiness. But then the the negative side, the bad side of this, is that everyone is actually controlled through their happiness. So I think we just see a lot of examples of that in our day and age. So on to, to the second thing of propaganda, it's obviously all around us. But uh, I think one of the most pernicious forms, it, kind of tagging along of what... Uh, in Brave New World Revisited, what Huxley was saying about, about the mass communication, uh, one of the most pernicious forms of it right now is the 24-hour news stations and cycles. So if you, if you are a news station and you are constantly sharing news, the only way that people can consume that amount of news is, it for, is for it to be within some sort of a framework or some sort of a story. So in one framework, the government might be bad and business might be good. And then every story is going to fit within that framework. 
Obviously, there's a lot of other components of that framework or story, but the way you hear about any story from that particular news organization is going to have to uh, come through that filter. And it's to the point now where you can watch one station and hear the hear about the same news stories, but hear about them in such a different way that they're almost unrecognizable. But it's because it has to fil- flow through those filters. And so that's on the, the media side of thing of propaganda. There's there's also other uh, ways of, of propaganda we, we hear about. Uh, so it, it's alive and well in 2020. But um, I, I just, when, when, when Huxley was talking about and revisited the, the mass communication side of things, and then when you're reading Brave New World and seeing the conditioning of, of messages repeated over and over thousands of times in, during someone's life, and then they, become to, they come to believe that, uh, just really makes you think about propaganda in a, in a new way. And then three, what does control look like now? Well, uh, I think we're seeing more and more with our mobile devices how that can alter behavior, how social media, I mean, uh, it's come out that Facebook and and I'm sure other organizations have have done tests without telling people uh, up front that, uh, you know, just even by showing different types of news, sad news versus versus happy news, that can can alter the the mindset of of someone. So control, uh, what about drugs now? Uh, if you watch any TV at all, uh, you're seeing the majority of ads for drug ads. And so we have this idea of Soma in in uh, Brave New World and people being controlled by drugs, but somebody's buying those drugs, somebody's paying for those ads. And uh, so it's still there and control can still be done through these mood enhancing and mind altering drugs. And so we still see these things and... It, it was just really interesting to to think about them, though, as you're reading a book, the the original novel, Brave New World, but then also to think about it as he wrote, as Huxley wrote, himself wrote about it later on. Now into segment four. This is the final segment, and it's usually what I cover in segment one, where I talk about the book a little bit, uh, my initial reaction, how long it took me to read it, uh, who suggested it, that sort of thing. I move that to the end this time, and then I will finish this segment off with the one thing, my one key takeaway from Brave New World. So Aldous, Aldous Huxley is the author. He was born in 1894, and he died on November 22nd, 1963. If that date rings a bell, someone else famous died on that day, and his name was C.S. Lewis, my favorite author. So yeah, there's two authors died on the same day. But you're probably thinking, that date sounds very familiar. And the reason it does is JFK also was killed that day. And so Huxley and Lewis, uh, their their deaths were not very widely uh, published at that point in the papers because it was all about JFK that day. Brave New World, uh, it comes, the title itself comes from Shakespeare. There's a line in, I think it's The Tempest, Oh, Brave New World that has such people in it. And the context within Brave New World is uh, there's there are things called savage reservations. So people living in uh, London, in future London, are, are part of this Brave New World. But uh, they can travel to reservations and they're savage reservations. So the people that still have not been civilized uh, according to the rules of of Brave New World, uh, live in these 
in these savage reservations. But the people who live in London, in in society, they can travel and, and spend time in in these uh, savage reservations if they're a certain level of, of people. They can they can do that. And so John is one of the savages, and he becomes a main character in Brave New World, and he is the one who quotes this this uh, line from Shakespeare. He loves Shakespeare. Shakespeare is throughout Brave New World, and John quotes it by saying, Oh, Brave New World, that has such people in it. And the way John is using it is John wants to go to London. John wants to go to civilization and see these people. He wants to see, oh, the Brave New World that has such people in it. He wants to, to, to see these people. And uh, interestingly enough, some of the people who are in London, in society, they want to go to the Savage Reservation and to see such people in the Savage Reservation. So it, it kind of a, uh, a funny thing, but, but it is referring to, oh, Brave New World that has such people in it, doing these crazy things of, of hatching people in labs, conditioning them and making them happy through drugs, that sort of thing. Interesting fact about Huxley, he taught George Orwell at Eton. So they knew each other. Uh, in, in Brave New World Revisited, Huxley talks a lot about 1984 by, by Orwell and, and uh, kind of contrasts Brave New World with 1984. So that, that was a neat, neat thing. And then the version I, I read, in addition to having Brave New World Revisited, also had a foreword by Christopher, Hutch, Hutchins, Christopher Hitchens. And that, that was very good. I, I enjoyed that. So um, you may want to check that out, the Brave New World Revisited, and, and then uh, the intro or forward by Hitchens himself. As for who suggested this book, uh, I've heard about it my whole life and have wanted to read it, and this is the first time that I did read it. Um, as for who suggested it in the Tim Ferriss Show podcast, that would be Matt Mullenweg, the founder of, of WordPress, and then also Tristan Harris. So it's been suggested by two different guests on the Tim Ferriss Show podcast. I read this book from April 15th through April 22nd. I'm recording this episode April 23rd, so I just finished it yesterday. It's a 340-page book. 231 of those pages were for Brave New World, and then the remainder was for Brave New World Revisited. Uh, as for initial reaction, I, I really enjoyed this book. I, You know, sometimes these types of books can can be very shallow in character development. And I mean, characters in this book are not super deep or anything, but I, I, I just, I, I found myself really enjoying the story and seeing where it was going and, and looking at ideas of, of happiness, propaganda control, but looking at it kind of from kind of a flip side, uh, looking at just governmental control or, or power structures in general, uh, most of the time you're looking at those through a, a lens of, of fear, of, of a ruling, ruling party ruling through might and fear and the ability to crush whatever uh, is not to their liking. But, but here you've got it flipped all, the, all around to where a large part, part of it is built on keeping the people happy and sedated and not questioning things. And so it's just a really interesting way to, to think about about things. Um, as for who should read the book, uh, one of those, uh, everyone with some caveats. Uh, there are, uh, there's a lot of sexual content in, in just, that's kind of how the society is built up. Like everyone, uh, no one is to be exclusive with one another. Like you're just supposed to, to, to do it with everybody. Um, and that's part of the keeping people under control because they're always seeking this, this immediate 
pleasure and, and then no one can really go off on their own and everyone is owned by everyone else, uh, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of that kind of content, but it's not, it's not like gratuitous sex scenes to where they're, they're, it, the purpose is just to, to titillate. It, it's there to make a point. So it's there. That's the reason for that content in the book. Um, and then in Brave New World Revisited, there are some really disturbing parts where Huxley gets into uh, population control, I guess. Uh, yeah, just like some, I, I just keep kind of writing in the in the margins like, oh, okay. Uh, so everyone should read the book for the ideas and, and thinking of things in a different way, but uh, just be warned that there are a few kind of disturbing parts. As for, uh, I, I might start, talking about this in future episodes, but what would be helpful to read before reading this book? Uh, one thing that would be helpful is to read Shakespeare and to have a, a understanding of Shakespeare. It's obviously not necessary, but it will dramatically increase your enjoyment of this book because Huxley just throws out these different lines from Shakespeare and it, it just kind of makes you smile because like it fits perfectly with what's going on, but you know that it's a reference to Shakespeare and it just, it just kind of enhances the, the entire thing. So I, I probably missed 99% of the, those references, but the, the 1% that I did uh, know or was familiar with were, were uh, quite delightful. So now onto the one thing, my one key takeaway from, from this book, and it's going to be that idea of, of being controlled through happiness. I, my great fear is is someday being captured or or something and being tortured. Like I, I fear that. I mean, I have nightmares of that, and and I I can't imagine like being held against your will, put in pain, all for the purpose of of having you uh, admit to something or change your mind about something. But this book talks about being controlled through happiness, but. Just think about the times that that you're happy. You you, to some level, you think you have control over that happiness. Like you think it's a result of maybe a, a, a situation you put yourself in, or just the way things have gone for you. But like, you 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 consider it. You don't consider it to be that you're being controlled when you're happy. But I think it's a important thing to consider that you might be being controlled through your happiness. And look at how it played out in this novel. And yes, it's dystopia and, and it's this could happen, but look at the ways that you see it happen in society around you. Uh, look at how Huxley writes about it in 1958. And that's one of the powers of of reading these two books together of Brave New World and then Brave New World Revisited. I keep mentioning the years because the years are so important. 1931, Brave New World. That's really before Nazi uh, Germany, uh, before it, it, it got really bad in the late 30s. Uh, it's before a lot of the, of the Soviet Russia. Um, it, but then when he wrote Revisited in 1958, you're past World War II, you've seen Nazi Germany, you've seen Maoist China, uh, you're, you're kind of in the midst of Maoist China at that point, you uh, have seen the some of the horrors of, of Soviet Russia, uh, so you're writing from that vantage point of a book that you didn't you didn't know about those things, but but you could write about it after. So really interesting uh, to to read both of those those books together. 
And again, to my one thing of, of that idea of being controlled through happiness. So what, what are areas in my life where I might be being controlled through, through happiness or, or things that I even think that I have control of? Uh, just, just one of those things that makes you think. That's going to do it for this episode. Thanks for listening. I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at eric at booksoftitans.com. Share your thoughts about uh, Brave New World or if you've read uh, Brave New World Revisited uh, or just to, to talk about any, any of the ideas that I uh, mentioned in this episode. I'd love to love to hear from you. I want to share a really cool story that happened uh, these past few weeks. I do website development and one of my clients is Landmark Booksellers. And we're in the midst of the coronavirus here. And so their business went to, to zero very quickly when, when, um, when people were locked down, you, you couldn't go to stores. So they, they could, they could not be open. And so we were just kind of thinking, you know, what can we do to, to get people to buy books? Like what, how can we drive people to the website to get them to purchase books? What kind of ways can we recommend books and all these things? And then just out of the blue, one of the local authors here in Franklin, Tennessee, Karen Kingsbury, decided to release a signed copy of her new book uh, through Landmark Booksellers. So you can buy the book at Landmark Booksellers and and then she will sign them and then uh, Landmark will, will ship these these books. And so Karen Kingsbury, she has a, a huge following. And, and so she let her fans know that that is where they could buy copies of, of her, her book signed. And sales just took off and over 4,000 books have been sold. Um, it's the amount of business that they would normally do over many months. And it, and it happened just in a, in a one week period. And it's just, it's amazing to see that like people from all over the United States, Canada, and then there's been interest all over the world for this bookstore. And Karen presented it in a way that let's save landmark booksellers. And so it's been so cool to see. It's been uh, really uh, just just inspirational on a, on a lot of fronts to see so many people come together to to save this this bookstore during these these hard times. Uh, I'm currently reading *The Orphan Mother* by Robert Hicks. That's my book number eleven, and I read *The Widow of the South* last year. Uh, that was the first book I'd read of Robert Hicks, and this *The Orphan Mother* kind of takes from the uh, after *The Widow of the South*. So I'm looking forward to this, and I've had the chance to meet Robert on a, on a couple locations because he also lives here in Franklin, Tennessee. A reminder, you can follow Books to Titans on Instagram or Twitter. Also, the website stock full of resources to help you find the best books and a creative reading list of your own. I'll be back in a couple weeks. And until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep listening. I'm out. <laughs>